you'd like to turn in your Bibles, I'll be reading from Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of the holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Sometimes it's personal. No matter how impersonal we might make it be, it's personal. Uh, today is Cherie and my anniversary, 41 years. So after services, after worship this morning, I'll fly to Denver and to Bear Valley to teach all week. It says a lot about a preacher's wife when she will allow her anniversary to be celebrated a little bit prior to the actual day and afterward at another time because she loves the Lord and is willing to sacrifice her, her husband to let others learn more about Jesus. I'm glad that that's a personal thing with Cherie. Because for the last six years now, I have taught on our anniversary date. The book of Romans is very personal. It's amazing how personal it is. Especially when you consider the fact that Paul had not met most of the Christians in Rome. At least not yet. It's an amazingly personal document. And when you look at the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 1, it's really kind of the introduction to the book. And virtually every key theme of Romans can be found in these 17 initial verses as he introduces things. It's personal. Look, if you will, at Romans 1, 1 through 6. Romans 1, 1 through 6 is really all about the gospel of God and Paul. The gospel of God and Paul. And what he's saying is, it's personal. I serve God in his gospel. I am an apostle of God and his gospel. It is about the gospel of God and Paul. You could tell that as Jeff was reading. Now when you look at verses 7 through 13 in this introductory section of Romans, Romans 1, 1 through 17, verses 7 through 13 deal with the church of God and Paul. The gospel of God and Paul 
Now the church of God and Paul, and how I long to come and to be with you. There was a church in Rome, and there had been for some time. And one of the reasons I know that's true is because in Acts 2 and verse 10, people from Rome were present on the day of Pentecost, and undoubtedly some of them became Christians, and they went back home to Rome, and others were brought to Christ. The church of God and Paul. I want you to know that Paul's relationship with God was personal because of the gospel. Ours ought to be too. And then the church consists of people who have been saved and there's a relationship. It's personal. And every child of God ought to seek to have great relationships with other children of God. Now look at verses 14 through 17. Paul and the mission of God. Paul and the mission of God. When you look at that section, it's about people. Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. All people groups. When you look at the section, it is about a message. The message of the gospel. The gospel. When you look at this section, verses 14 through 17, our mission's about people. It's about gospel proclamation, getting the news out. It's about God. It's about the power of God and the righteousness of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17. But not just that. The mission of God is about salvation and righteousness according to this passage. Take those terms together because of the messages, the message of the gospel, people can be saved and made right before God. People can be saved and made right before God through the message of the gospel. I want to focus this morning on Romans 1, 1 through 6. Six truths introducing the gospel. Six truths about the gospel. Introducing the gospel. He wants these Christians in Rome... To remember how precious the gospel of God is. Truth number one. If you're following along in your Bible, I hope you are. It keeps me honest. Romans 1, verse 1. The origin of the gospel is God. The origin of the gospel is God. Romans 1 and verse 1. It is the gospel of God. Now when you look at that expression, and I'd encourage you to mark it in your Bible, the gospel of God, it can refer to the gospel, the news, the message that has God as its source. And that's certainly a legitimate application here. The gospel has God as its source. The true gospel will have God as its source. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. 
But on the other hand, the gospel of God can refer to the gospel, the message that has God as its contents. And I believe that that is also true. The gospel is from God and about God and the relationship he wants to have with us. That's the gospel. And what Paul is doing initially as he speaks about himself and his relationship with the gospel gives us a lot to think about. Serving the gospel of God, that's something we all can do. I'm a servant of the gospel of God. I serve God, but I serve the gospel of God, his message. I serve it up by the way I live, the way I think, the way I speak. Sometimes I tell people about preachers, what preachers should do is serve up what God cooks up. To such a degree that people will say, my compliments to the chef. Because it's really what God cooked up. And we're simply serving it up. You need to live your life in such a way that people will say, my compliments to the chef. To God. For the way you live and think and speak. And the idea in Romans 1.1 that the origin of the gospel is God... It didn't come from man, merely from men. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 You received the word of God not as the message of men, but rather as it is in truth the word of God. So if Mike is really serving up what God has cooked up, you have an obligation and responsibility before the God of heaven and earth to listen. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved initially by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. In giving us this revelation... It comes from God and it's been entrusted to the apostles and prophets so that we now have the message of God in Scripture. Interesting. As we leave this section, remember these words, two words, one expression. From God. The origin of the gospel is from God. From heaven or from men? Matthew 21, 23 through 29. From heaven and God. Notice this truth secondly. The gospel is verified and validated by Scripture. The gospel is verified and validated by Scripture. Look at Romans 1 and verse 2. Verified and validated. Nowadays you have to have various uh, verification validation codes. Isn't that right? 
You're, you're, you're asked to give a code often if you're trying to do something online. You have to determine how many cars or how many uh, traffic lights are in a picture so you're not a robot. Things like that. Validation, verification. My mom and I recently went to uh, get her an identity card from the great state of Texas. Just in case you wanted to fly or go someplace, at least you would have it. You know, you can't even get a library card without some kind of personal ID that's valid. And you know what? They want an awful lot of verification. An awful lot of verification. So much so that I took my mother's birth certificate, her Mississippi driver's license, Social Security number, uh, uh, death certificate of one prior husband, my stepdad, and we still didn't have enough information. I said, well, if I gave you her shoe size, would that help? And they said, well, it would be funny, but you still got to go back and bring the rest of this stuff if she wants an ID. Validation and verification. Before she could get an ID. The gospel is validated and verified, authenticated by God in Scripture. You're not going to get better verification. There are three expressions I'd like for you to underline in verses 1 and 2. First one, it'll be the word promised. Do you see that? In most translations, you're going to see the word promise or very like unto the term promise. When Adam and Eve sinned, you have the promise of God in Genesis 3.15 that one would come eventually who would crush the head of the serpent even though the serpent would bruise his heel Genesis 3.15. Seems awfully amazing to me that when man was at his lowest because he had violated the will of God, the only command thou shalt not that they were given, they violated. And when you would think all was hopeless, the infinite mind of God promises hope. In Genesis 12 and verse 3, and remember that the writer of the book of Romans was a Jew for many years, Paul, before he became a Christian. And he is seeing things that he never saw before as he's come to Jesus and making connections. And he is thinking about the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, when God says, through your seed, singular, all peoples of the earth, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Promise. And Paul considers this the fulfillment of the promise that was initially made in Abraham. Read to Abraham, Galatians chapter 4. So there's the first word, promise. The second word is prophets. 
prophets. Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them you find witness of me. They bear witness of me. John 5, 39. The law, the Psalms, the prophets, they bear witness of him. Luke 24 and verse 25. Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. The prophets. The word prophet means to speak for God to people. To speak for God to people. In this section, dealing with the gospel of God and Paul, he refers to the prophets. The promise of God said Jesus would come and good news is coming. The prophets of God said Jesus is coming, good news is coming. And the last expression to mark from Romans 1 and verse 2 is the expression holy scriptures. The holy scriptures point to Jesus. Whether the prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles inspired writers of the New, they point to Jesus. Just as Thomas was speaking about in our Lord's Supper meditation this morning. Just as we've been singing about. If the first verse, the origin of the gospel is God, you remember from God... In this second verse, and that it's scripture that validates and verifies the gospel of God, put down through scripture, the gospel is from God, seen through scripture. Third truth. The substance of the gospel is Christ Jesus. The substance of the gospel is Christ Jesus. Verses 3 and 4. When you look at this section, it is said, it's really dealing with, when you look at the two verses, the humanity of Jesus and the divinity or Godhood of Jesus. And if you would, pick up your Bible. Let me do this with mine too. And just look at the references to Jesus in this section this morning. Seven different references to Jesus in verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, Christ Jesus. Notice the emphasis. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited promised one, the one about whom the prophets talked. You've got Christ there, see? Then you've got Jesus, Savior. Keep looking. Concerning His what? Verse 2, verse 3 rather. His Son, who is a descendant of David. But he is also, number four, the Son of God. He is Jesus Christ. Now it's inverted. And he is our Lord. 
And then there is one more term that I should have mentioned. Number seven. For the sake of his name. His name. His namesake. In looking at this passage, as to his humanity, he would be a descendant of David. God promised this. It was prophesied, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. Out of Bethlehem the Messiah would come, Micah 5 and verse 2. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, one of the lineage, the descent of David. But it's also mentioned in Romans 1, 3 and 4 that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, that means whatever makes God, God. Jesus has it. So much so that he is called Lord in Romans 1.4 and he is called the Lord in Romans 1 verse 7. Let me make a distinction that probably needs to be made. Nowadays we talk about Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's a biblical expression. For example, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Lord and Savior. Many people want Jesus as their Savior, but not so much Jesus as their Lord. I don't want anybody telling me what I need to do, what I ought to do. But this passage, speaking of Jesus, and how that the substance of the gospel is Jesus... It emphasizes his lordship. And the one that Paul calls Lord in Romans chapter 1, the first six verses, is the Lord that is worthy of glory, of praise, of worship, and obedience. There is nothing about Jesus that is second rate. He is worthy of glory, of honor, of praise, of obedience, he is Lord and Savior. That brings me to a fourth truth. As we look at Romans chapter 1, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, look at the text, Verse 5, to bring about, to bring about what? The purpose of the gospel is to bring about something. What? Brother Thomas, what's the purpose of the gospel according to Romans 1, 5? To bring about, thank you. Brother Bill. To bring about, or unto, to bring about obedience of faith. Now, much like that expression, gospel of God, obedience of faith is capable of two different meanings. And the first meaning, meaning is this. Obedience that has faith as its source. That sounds pretty good to me. 
Obedience that has faith as its source. Just like the gospel of God is a gospel that has God as its source. That makes a lot of sense. But just as the gospel of God in verse 1 can also mean the gospel that has God as its content, the obedience of faith in this passage can also mean the obedience that has faith as its content. Either way, faith without works is dead. James 2, 14 through 26. Keeping your finger here at Romans 1 and verses 5 and 6, go to the end of Romans, Romans 16, 25 through 27. Something really interesting to see. In a book that is dealing with how people can be saved and made right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ... This book stresses the obedience of faith. Do you see the expression in Romans 16, 25 through 27? Does it look familiar? There it is, obedience of faith again. Well, what am I saying, Bo? I'm saying that Paul's a pretty good thinker. Of course, he's an inspired thinker, but he bookends his book. At the beginning and at the end with the obedience of faith. We need to emphasize the obedience of faith too. Obedience that has our faith as its source and obedience that has our trust and joy and desire to to do His will. That's the content of our faith. What I ask you to remember, just an expression in verse 1, the gospel is from God. The gospel is revealed, verse 2, through Scripture. The gospel is really all about Christ Jesus. Verses 3 and 4, the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is really all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith. Bring about obedience of faith. Number five. Look again at Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. The scope of the gospel is to all nations. The scope of the gospel is to all nations, all peoples. I believe that the sense of world mission among Christians needs to be strengthened. World mission. 
there are 3,400 counties plus in the United States. A conservative estimate would be 1,000 of those 3,400 have no presence of the churches of Christ at all. By that I mean no Christians, no building. If there's Christians in the county, they travel to another one. In other words, almost a third of our counties in this country have no known presence of God's people. World mission. Wanted to share this with you. Here's a couple of websites that might prove helpful. They are both denominational and must be looked at accordingly. But there is some help to be derived by looking at them to get some figures. The JoshuaProject.net. Check it out online sometime. It'll make you want to go to God in prayer. There are over 8 billion people. There are over 8 billion people on earth. 42.9 percent of them according to the Joshua project knows nothing about Jesus that is 3.6 billion people 3.6 billion people may know nothing about Jesus and I would have to say that's probably a conservative estimate Looking at people groups, the Joshua Project says there's more than 17,000 people groups in the world. And of that, there are about 5,000 that know next to nothing about Jesus. The Joshua Project The other group is peoplegroups.org. Peoplegroups.org. I wanted to share those with you. And I would encourage you to go to those sites. And again, they, they both have a denominational background. And yet in each case, what they are really trying to do is is gauge how much authority is there and respect, how much respect for the authority of God is there in these places. The God of Scripture. And people groups puts the number of people that know next to nothing about Jesus as over 4 billion. Like 4.6 billion. Yes, an emphasis ought to be made in Midland, Texas. Yes, an emphasis needs to be given to missions in the United States of America. But we need to be thinking in terms not just of our community and our country, but the world. The world.
there's a proper way of thinking about each of those areas. And may God give our shepherds and may God bless those that serve on the missions committee and deal with these men that we help support. May we be looking for opportunities to be world-minded Christians. Not Christians who are worldly, but are minding the world. We see the scope of God's message as being the world. And it's not just about our culture, our personality, and our taste. It is about what God wants people to do in mission. In mission. So, to all people, I am 63 years old. I am going to Bear Valley and I go to other places to encourage younger men who may well go places I will never go and be able to teach people that I will never teach. And I'm able to do that because of you. But I'd do it if I was getting hungry. And whether you supported me or not, because my time is limited. We need to be world Christians. The message is too glorious and great to only be shared with a few. Amen? Number six. So... Again, to all peoples, the gospel of God is intended to go to all peoples. Before I leave this point, a number of years ago, a young man visited this congregation. He knew nothing about religion. He knew nothing about Christianity. He came a number of times and he and I became really good friends. We would talk about God and he knew nothing about Scripture or God. The first time he came and I remember we were sitting on that row and when the Lord's Supper was being passed, he looked at me and said, Mike, can't we do better here than give crackers to remember Jesus? To use crackers to remember Jesus. And I had to explain to him the purpose of the supper and how the Lord had had instituted it with the bread. And he was amazed. And I taught that day on the prodigal son and he sat there with a hat on his head and his piercings and maybe his tattoos and maybe that's all a very few people noticed. But what God wanted us to notice was that that's a soul. And the time came when he moved from Midland, Texas. He's now married and has a little boy. And he lives in Wisconsin. And David, our son, your brother that has grown up here, has been studying with him the gospel. And he wants me to come to Wisconsin to baptize him. 
there is not a congregation of the Lord's people within 40 miles of where he lives. When the time does come, with the shepherd's permission and the generosity and kindness of the church, I'll go to Wisconsin to baptize him. I'll take the time off. To be thinking in terms of the world. Here's a guy who is not far from the kingdom. We want to not only get him into Christ, we want to provide him with a local church family where he can grow and develop to God's glory and praise. We don't talk about that enough. Number six. The goal of the gospel is for Christ's name to be honored. Notice that in verse 5. The goal of the gospel is for Christ's name to be honored. For the sake of His name. For the sake of His name, missionaries go forth. 3 John 7. For the sake of His name... We do good works that they may see our works and praise our God and His name. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. For the sake of His name, His honor and glory. The gospel is good news about what a great and glorious God has done. God has done to save and to make right sinful man. So the last little thing I'd like you to remember for God's honor. Put it together. The gospel is from God according to scripture about Jesus Christ our Lord to bring about the obedience of faith to all nations. For the sake of his name. Amen. Can't argue with that, can you? That's right out of the word. We're about to stand and sing the song of encouragement today. If there is a brother or sister that needs our prayers, we would love to humbly pray with you. Maybe you're just going through some hard times and want us to pray for you and with you. We will. Maybe there's a person here who's not a Christian. The obedience of faith should be what you want to stress in your life because that's what Paul stresses in this book. He commanded people to be baptized. Scripture does that. It is not only a command. God is deserving of our obedience God desires our obedience. Why don't you give your obedience if you haven't come to Him in baptism? To have your sins washed away. 
And so you can be added to the church of the New Testament. Thank you so much for listening. Let us stand and sing.